Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, December 1st, 2019. The share IDs for Friday, November 29th are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 13,734. That's 13734. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 13,736. That's 13736. This morning, a vision for you presents Looking Within. The fourth step made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves brings us to a specific course of action that the big book describes as vigorous. According to the big book, unless we make a strenuous effort to face and to be rid of the things in ourselves which have been blocking us, our decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him can have little permanent effect. Our goal is to root out the causes of our living problems so that we can do something about them. We have embarked on a program of action that will restore us to sanity. That restoration, however, depends on our willingness to look at ourselves realistically and to endure the discomfort, the pain associated with facing what we have become. The fantasy of some easier, softer way that will allow us to avoid that pain has kept a number of us from completing this step and from maintaining our recovery. Many of us assumed that if we merely stopped eating our binge foods and stopped compulsive overeating, all of our problems would be solved. Unfortunately, this wasn't true. Other problems persisted. Problems that stemmed from our character defects did not go away just because we quit eating certain substances and because we quit compulsive overeating. Liquor, says the big book, was but a symptom. So we had to get down to causes and conditions. The fourth step leads us back time of action that have caused pain for us and for others. The purpose of the fourth step is to identify those character defects by looking within. Our courage to do so, our courage in confronting our past behavior, will be rewarded by a clearer picture of ourselves than we have ever had before. Joining us this morning to share their experience regarding the fourth step are three recovered compulsive overeaters. Today, you will hear from Ginger C. from Colorado, Kay, Pennsylvania, and from Dawn B., from, who resides in California. So let's get started right now as I introduce panel number one, Ginger C. Good morning, Ginger. Ginger, star one to unmute. Am I being heard? You are, Leah. Leah, I can hear you. Thank you, Jason. Let's give Ginger a moment. 
Ginger, star one to unmute. Jason, can I ask you to start us off? It seems that Ginger might be having some technical issues. Sure thing. Am I coming through? Yes, very clearly. Thank you. Thanks, Leah. I am Jason Kay, a recovered compulsive eater and bulimic from outside Philadelphia, though currently in sunny Arizona. Um, so I will just invite God in. I'm hoping, hopefully, I can be honest and real with you today, and I can do my best, and God will do the rest. Um, in 2014, I had been divorced. I would come, uh, there would be certain times where I'd be almost overtaken, almost possessed by a deep burning resentment that my wife, uh, my ex-wife at the time had left me. This feeling would come in uh, so intensely, so powerfully, I could feel it coursing through my body. Uh, I would have fantasies of revenge. I would feel hurt, self-pity. Um, fast forward to 2017 in the late fall, early winter, I called up that same woman and I had said, I want to make amends to you. I think you made a great decision to leave me. It probably saved us from each other. Uh, this story is how I got from, from point A to point B, um, probably said in a, a better way, it's how the power of God uh, got me from point A to point B. So what I want to talk to, talk to you about, and a quick preview, I'm a teacher, so we like to preview things and make things really clear. Uh, I want to talk briefly about hopelessness. I want to talk about the theory and the instructions behind step four, and I want to talk about my personal experience with this one uh, particular deep and burning resentment. And then I want to end on a hopeful and uh, positive note about the promise, promises. Um, so the first thing for me is hopelessness. Uh, this is basically answering the question, how do we arrive to step four? What are the conditions upon which we can do step four in a meaningful and an effective way that brings us to a place of freedom? Uh, and for me, step one drives everything. I tried to do step four when I didn't have a solid step one. I wasn't really ready to get rid of the food. I wasn't really ready to give up um, certain character defects. And I remember doing step four out of the big book with a sponsor, and it just didn't seem to have the effect. So coming to step four um, from this deep, deep place of hopelessness. Uh, and for me in 2017, when I really was ready to surrender, I felt broken. I felt beat down. I felt battered. I felt done. I felt just this um, very little will to go on with my life as I was living it. I was suicidal. I was broken. I was desperate. And I had to accept a number of conditions that are laid out in the first step uh, and, and step one through three, that no human power could relieve me of my, de my desire to eat compulsively, of this obsessive mind that kept bringing me back to these alcoholic foods and these compulsive food behaviors and this binging and purge cycle. No human power could relieve me. I had to concede to my innermost self. I was truly hopeless. I was a chronic alcoholic of the hopeless variety. And once I started to eat those alcoholic foods, I lost, I lost power of choice and control. I couldn't tell when I was going to stop or how much I was going to eat, uh, how much I was going to eat. And if I managed to stop, I couldn't guarantee you I was going to stay stop. I could not stay stop. For the life of me, I could not stay stop. So with these conditions, we're propelled into step four with a willingness, with a, a surrender 
Um, for me, it was this deep-deep conviction that I had to go to any length, any length to have victory over this compulsive eating uh, addiction that I could, uh, that I needed to go to any length to get connected to God. So being convinced that I needed to proceed with this course of, course of action, that my life lived on self-will would not be a success, um, that God could and would remove my um, obsession to eat compulsively, uh, that brought me to step four in the fall of 2017. Uh, and for me, when I'm looking at the theory of step four, a couple things stick out really strongly. Um, one thing sticks out really strongly is my problems are of my own making. Now, that's actually said in the third step. What happens is when you put um, your resentments, your fears, your, your, your sex conduct down on paper, you start to see that your problems are of your own making in vivid technicolor. Now, technicolor is an old term. For the young people, you get to see how your problems were of your own making in 4K Ultra HD. Um, you get to see that so clearly. Another thing that's said in the third step is that we try to wrest satisfaction out, this, out of this world by managing well. If only others would do it we please, as we please. And my ex-wife, she didn't follow my script. She didn't do what I, what I wanted her to do. So uh, on page 64, it says, our third step decision can have no permanent effect unless at once followed by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of things in ourselves which had been blocking us. We had to get, get down to causing conditions and lay ahead reference that in her introduction, um, but this strenuous effort done at once, uh, and again, this brings us to uh, step four, and on page 64, it says, we search out the flaws in our makeup, which caused our failure, self-manifested in various ways is what had defeated us, and the way I con conceptualize this a little bit is we talk about the sunlight of the spirit. If you think of sunlight, what blocks the sunlight? Clouds. So clouds to me are those various manifestations of self, selfishness, fear, dishonesty, my self-will, my ideas, my opinions, um, block the sunlight of the spirit, and I'm left in the dark, cold and alone. Um, so my personal experience with this woman, and I'll just call her Susie just to keep her actual name out of this, is I had this deep burning resentment. The essence of this resentment was she left me. I could feel this. Um, you know, just viscerally, palpably um, coursing through my veins, I would feel um, this deep, deep resentment that she left me. This kept me out of relationships. I felt damaged. I felt bro broken. And I would sit there and have fantasies of revenge. I would have this deep inner, inner bitterness. And Joe and Charlie talk about in their big book study how we have this replay machine that takes this wrong or perceived wrong and we magnify it and we replay it as if it was like a sport game and somebody had an egregious penalty and they just zoom in on that one very moment without context and they just replay it over and over again um, each time just saying, you know, look at that. Isn't that bad? Isn't this horrible? Isn't this terrible? Now, uh, if I tell you my ex-wife left me, I'm leaving out a tremendous, tremendous amount of context, but that's what I was focused on. And page 66 of the big book says that a life which includes this deep resentment leads only to facility and unhappiness. Um, so on page 66, it says we need to be prepared to look at this list from an entirely different angle. We need to look, I need to look at this marriage and this divorce from an entirely different angle. And to me, this is one of the key critical instructions that brings so much freedom. And page 67 says 
We put out of our minds the wrongdoings of others. We resolutely look for our own mistakes. In doing so, we disregard this person involved entirely, not just a little bit, not just we focus more on ourselves, entirely, entirely. And I remember during that time seeing a, a therapist, and he was just telling me, okay, stop talking about what she did wrong. Stop talking. I just couldn't stop talking about what she did wrong, about her defects, about her um, action. Uh, and then the last thing that really, really sticks for me is where do we set the ball rolling? We think we're victims in misfortune and circumstances, but we, acting out of selfishness and fear, set the ball in motion. We invariably set the ball in motion. And this, to me, says, I'm not a victim. I participate in um, the drama of my life by choosing to do things based on self-will, selfishness. Uh, and in this situation with this woman, every single um, basic instinct that I had had, had uh, been involved, it had run amok, so to speak. So the basic uh, idea is the cause of our pain is based on these basic needs and these basic impulses being hurt, threatened, or interfered with. So that's the social instinct, the, the sexual instinct, the financial or security instinct. And with this woman, every single instinct was tied up, the, the, the desire to belong, to have a family, um, to have a sexual partner, to have financial stability and to share things and to share rent and to share you know, security, to have stability in home. Uh, every, every single one of these um, impulses, these basic needs of my life was involved in this situation with this woman and I was desperate to hold on to this marriage um, which made me emotionally volatile, made me angry, made me a desperate, desperate man. Um, I wasn't turning to God, I was just trying to turn to this woman so that she could do my will, that she could um, stay with me, that I could have this relationship. So it wasn't a very nice person to be with and that's saying it very, very lightly. So in looking at the actual defects of character uh, in relationship to this one resentment, and again, this was my, my, this is one of my biggies. This is one of the ones that kind of kept me up late at night. Um, so looking at the defects of character and writing this down on paper and setting it in front of me, black and white, um, I looked at this dishonesty. Um, I expected her to stay, to live up to this agreement, when time and time again, she didn't live up to agreement. She would agree in the moment. She would kind of placate me and then the agreement was out the window. So I was expecting her to act in a way that she didn't act. She didn't hold on to agreements in the same way. I also looked at this and I said, there's a dishonesty that this relationship should have even continued. It was circling the drain, it was very unhealthy. And I sat there and said, oh my gosh, I'm sitting here resentful that this woman should not have left me when this relationship was terrible. The other thing, and I hate to admit this, and I and I realize it's recorded, but I was physically abusive. I would grab her. I would, you know, I would do. I was very physically intimidating. Now, looking at this from an objective angle, if somebody is in a relationship like that, I wouldn't hesitate to say, leave that person at once. Leave them at once. Don't feel guilty about this. And when I looked at myself, and this is a fact-finding, fact-facing mission. I had to agree that the truth about the situation for her was that she should have left me. She should have left me. Um, I was controlling. I wanted her to follow my script. I was so emotionally um, volatile. Again, I've, there was this deep, deep, tremendous fear. I was totally afraid 
of losing this word, this person. I was driven by this fear. So I started to look at this, and again, driven by this desperation, taking a third step decision, inviting God in. And what I'm also doing is I'm praying the sick man's prayer. Perhaps she's spiritually sick to stay in a relationship like that. I'm opening my heart to forgiveness. I'm allowing the power of God in. And I'm starting to, to, to come to the conclusion, and this is the exact precise opposite of my resentment, that she made a good decision to leave me. That, that, that I am grateful that she left me. There was another player in this, is the, is the other partner that she met that she ended up to leave with. And I said, you know, man, if that other person wouldn't have come along, she might not have had the, um, the push she needed, the impetus she needed. I started to say things like, thank God that person came along. The other person, now, um, you know, the spiritual life is, is, is under different rules. It's not, it's not like our normal life, because in, in normal life, you would say, you should hate this person that came along and, you know, lured your wife away. No, thank God she came. I was seeing this. I was prepared to see this from an entirely different angle. And bottom line is, I can't do this. Uh, I can't do this. I can't get from point A to point B on my own power. This has to happen through the power of God. You know, something happened in this with this deep surrender driven through steps one through three um, that I started to see. This is the power of God. I started to feel something happening within me. It was absolutely amazing. And for me, um, taking this inventory and writing down line after line, um, you know, not just with this ex-wife, but with everybody in my life, uh, I got to see how selfish, how dishonest, how inconsiderate, how fearful I was, how deeply I needed God. And, um, you know, for, for, for me, you wouldn't have necessarily been able to convince me on a deep level that I was really selfish. You know, I work with special needs kids. I would give money to charity. I would go see, visit my parents. Um, but really looking at this uh, idea of selfishness and seeing how it underlied uh, all my character defects and understanding these definitions of selfishness, that it can be wanting people to follow my script to having these judgments that I think I know what's the right thing for this person, how they should act in this situation, uh, a version of playing God. I started to get that deep down in my gut. I started to feel that so powerfully. I finished that fourth step and after um, laying it out in my fifth step, I started to have this deep, visceral um, thought and feeling, oh, my God, I am so selfish. I am so selfish. And the thought that went along with that is, I truly, truly need God. I truly need God. So um, this process, this process gave me such a deep, um, clear picture. And you almost want to say of who I am, um, but it's not really who I am. It's who I was. And this is, this is a clear, clear picture of these character defects. Uh, you can almost say this is a picture of who I'm not, because underneath all this character defect, the character defects, underneath the selfishness, underneath the fear, I am a child of God. I am uh, a manifestation of God, right? I'm, 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 this shows me, it shows me clearly uh, how I live my life in this negative way. And uh, I'll just end here in about a minute or two. Uh, and I always love to end on hope because the story of recovery is a story of hope. It's a story of how we go from hopelessness to hope. I came out of this experience so changed, so changed. 
And I like what Herb Kay says, is, I was willing to be led. I was willing to be led to this experience, but I was also led to be willing. And what I mean by that is, on one hand, God's power did this. God's power and presence and light and love um, did this. On the other hand, I surrendered. I threw in the towel. I said, I'm done. And, and, and for me, the story of recovery is about going from hopelessness to hope. I came out of this. I had forgiven this woman. I had, I had totally forgiven this woman. I had released this woman. I, ha- I, didn't, I didn't even know. I didn't, it doesn't even really matter. It doesn't even really register in my consciousness what her defects of character were in this. It's just not even, it's not even a salient, relevant point. I couldn't wait to make amends with this woman. I could not wait to call this woman up and, and, and just tell her how wrong I had been and to tell her how clearly um, I think she made a good decision to leave me. I came out of this with such a deep sense of freedom and hope. My perspective had been changed. I could not be the same afterwards. You can't do this work. You can't fully surrender to this work and, and then go out and live self-centered you know, in the same way, it's like this illusion. The bubble has been burst. You've seen behind the veil. So I took this experience to heart, and I came out of it willing to make amends and committed to this to this way of life. Um, so I think that's a that's a good stopping point. I think I said what I I wanted to say, and uh, thank you for the opportunity to share. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much, Jason Kay, for your share. Now I welcome panelist number two, Ginger C. from Colorado. Good morning, Ginger. Star one to unmute. Okay, good morning, Leah. Can you hear me? I do. I hear you well. Ah. Okay, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. And I think at this point in time, I'm going to put star one in a frame on my wall. Um, So glad to be here, though. Thank you so much for asking me to be of service this morning. And I am Ginger C., a recovered compulsive overeater. And I just want to do a huge thank you to Malky from last night. Um, Nothing saves the day working with another. So thank you, Malky, for that call. Um, So by the time I hit bottom with my food addiction, I was so broken and out of ideas that I didn't think twice about what I was instructed to do. I simply took direction, I got busy, and I got better. And I'll never forget sitting in Virginia Beach, I was writing notes after notes because I was hearing things that I had never heard in the 24 years of meetings that I attended in AA. And one of our teachers started to talk about the four impediments these blocking agents to God, this power that I lack, and this power that is going to keep me safe and protected a day at a time. And when I heard him share that second impediment, a secret I will not tell, it pierced me because I knew I had a big secret, a shameful secret that I was hiding. And again, I'm only as sick as my secrets. And I knew I needed to get honest and I needed to tell another. So thank God again how this works. You know, I think when the student's ready, those teachers appear. And for whatever reasons, I had to sit in AA for 24 years, but thank God, God brought me to this practical program of action, this big book of Alcoholics Anonymous that solves all my problems. I just have to stay into this action part. And that's the hard part. I get tired 
I think it's too much, it's too hard, and I want to stop. And because I keep seeking and praying and asking, God keeps moving my muscles. Because my makeup, my MO, is to walk away and be done. And then I wonder why I'm eating again. Where's God? So we have not sought to be one in a family, to be a friend among friends, to be a worker among workers, to be a useful member of society. Always we have tried to struggle to the top of the heap or to hide underneath it. And this self-centered behavior blocked a partnership relation with any one of those about us. Of true brotherhood, we had small comprehension. And now we're citizens again, according to Bill W. In AA, we aim not only for sobriety, we try again to become citizens of the world that we rejected and of the world that once rejected us. And I need to carry the message to other alcoholics, but I must also practice these principles in all my affairs. And Bill tells us on page 19, a much more important demonstration of the 12 steps lies in our respective homes, occupations, and affairs. And sometimes a much more difficult arena because perhaps these individuals are sick like us and they're pushing all sorts of buttons and I get angry, I get hurt, and I may react. And so I'm just going to share a resentment that I went through because this is what we're talking about, this four-step inventory. And we have three sheets that we go through. And the first sheet that we get to look into is this resentment form. And I'm just going to take you through what it looks like um, following these precise directions. And I personally love Lori C. and his OABigbook.info. He's got these forms. They're the most close to the big book. Um, And that's where I print them off from. So I'm resentful at my job. And the part two is the cause. They're going corporate. I feel like the staff is invisible. And I'm starting to get angry. I don't process reality. I'm in active addiction because resentment's my number one offender and it's building. I'm not liking what's going on. I don't like this change. Stop it. Keep it the same. So my mind is skewed and warped, and I have twisted thinking. And then I go into this third column. And in this third column, what's affecting my self-esteem, my security, pocketbook, my ambitions, personal relations, sex relations, and is there any fear? So self-esteem, it can flip. It can be low self-esteem or it can be high. And usually it's my, perce- my pride proceeding. And I think I'm supreme authority. Don't you know who I am? I'm Ginger C. And I know the right action, the right direction for this company. And when was my name put outside the building? But that's how I'm acting and behaving. And then I go into my ambitions. What do I want? There's questions that I get to ask and answer with these effects, I don't just do a check and roll on to the fourth column. I got to look at this stuff because this is where I am in fight or flight. I'm being threatened. I'm being hurt. I'm burned up. I'm sore. 
And I'm putting on six coats of armor because I'm going to protect me at all costs. Don't you know this life is all about me? And when I get to a certain state, I forget about God. I get back to self-reliance. Ginger has to take care of Ginger. So this ambition, what do I want? Well, I want this company to be more heart-centered than head. And I want staff to be heard and respected. And then I go into these securities. And the question for securities and, and this pocketbook is, where am I feeling unsafe? And financially, I'm unsafe because what happens if I get fired? I have a loud mouth. I'd sometimes speak my truth. Might speak it at the wrong time in the wrong place. And I'm emotionally and physically unsafe because I'm exhausted. I've been in this fight or flight state, this feeling of survival. I mean, to me, sometimes I get my buttons pushed. I am so blindsided. I feel like I have been dropped again. And I have an old muscle, an old way of behaving and reacting. It served me maybe as a child, but it's no longer serving me today. I have to let go of these. They're objectionable. They don't work. But again, I forget. I have this amnesia, and I'm just in this really intense moment. And then these personal relationships. You know, these are other than the person I wrote down in that first column. How am I spreading this out and causing harm? How am I hurting others? because of this resentment I'm holding? How is it affecting you? How am I putting it onto you? Expecting you to be maybe something that you're not. And so I start to mistrust some workers that don't agree with me. They feel like maybe this corporate move is exactly what this organization needs to succeed and survive. We're one of the only nonprofits left in the nation. And again, I love the set-aside prayer. This is one thing that keeps me right-sized. Who am I? How do I know? That's my problem. I think I know so damn much. If I knew so much, why am I in five 12-step rooms with many addictions? Obviously, life is not working for Ginger. But these personal relations, these other people that I'm affecting because of this resentment that I'm holding And then I go into sex relations, hidden or acceptable. And I get real codependent with one of my coworkers because I want job security. It's dishonest. It's not not okay. I have to be real authentic, share my truth. But I'm living in fear. So then this fourth column that we get to follow up with, you know, self-seeking. I'm feeling grandiose. I'm gossiping, I'm character assassinating, I'm wanting my way, I'm controlling and manipulating. I'm selfish, they're not following my script. They should be doing it this way. Why are they going in this new direction? I don't understand. Just do it how I think it should be done because then guess what? I'm okay and that's what matters, me, right? Selfish, self-centered, ginger. It's always about me what I'm about to lose, or what I'm not getting. And then I'm dishonest. I'm alone and no one cares. This abandonment. Oh, don't you know that's my core button you're pushing now. No wonder I'm so out of control. And I have this old belief system, you see, with this abandonment issue. People leave all the time. Really? 
Let's look at how many people stayed and loved you and supported you. Some people did leave, but many more stayed. And I don't see that truth. I just hold on to this old belief and I go nowhere. So that is a little bit of what a go through with the form and following the work precisely. And again, thank God we get to do this. We are so blessed to have these clear-cut directions. So we don't have to stay stuck in this. Because I kept eating over and over and wondering what was going on. Why am I, why am I going back to the food? And, and I'm going to share with you in a little bit. And it's real clear why I was going back to the food. I had a lot of stuff that I wasn't looking at. So the AA 12 and 12 says, step four is our vigorous and painstaking effort to discover what these liabilities in each of us have been and are. And we want to find exactly how and when and where our natural uh, desires have warped us. So we wish to look squarely at the unhappiness this has caused others and ourselves. By discovering what our emotional deformities are, we can move toward the correction. Without a willing and persistent effort to do this, there can be little sobriety or contentment for us. Without a searching and fearless moral inventory, most of us has found that faith, which really works in daily living, is still out of reach. I can't quite get to shore. What's blocking me? What's preventing me from feeling this? Because God is everything or God is nothing. And what's my choice to be? And without this power, I will eat. So we dig and we get honest about causes and conditions, the underlining truth to it all, me, my skewed thinking and immaturity. My God-given instincts that have been taken to extremes, misdirected, and as a result, I suffer liabilities. And don't we invariably find that at some time in the past, we have made decisions based on self, which later placed us in a position to be hurt. So I am always the axiom, my selfishness, dishonesty, self-seeking, and frightened. And to get to the buried treasure, you've got to get your hands dirty. So step four is where the rubber hits the road and we launch into a vigorous course of action. And it's fact-facing and fact-finding self-appraisal. What's driving and motivating me? What's causing me to act this way? I've got to be honest. I used to think of the fourth step and I would think I would jump down to nine and I was like, hmm, I'm not putting them on that paper because there's no way I'm going to make an amend. No way. And that's not what this is about. This is willing to go to any length for victory over this food nightmare that's been killing you. That's only progressive and fatal in nature. What choice do you have? The book tells me I've got two doors. Blot it out and live a life of hell. And miss all these amazing opportunities lying outside my door and in my home. Or accept God's help, this power that's down deep within each and every one of us. So these causes and conditions are what lies beneath the story that I'm tethered to and stuck in. 
and I'm blind. I can't fix what I cannot see. And I return over and over and over to the food. This revolving door of relapse that will never end. So I thought. And this is another example of clearly why it's so important we do this work precisely exactly. If you want what the first 100 got, do what they did. A friend of mine that does OA World Service told me that our numbers used to be 150,000 plus in OA. Our numbers today are 60,000. And I wonder why. So this example is about my mom. This resentment that I was holding. But my thinking was, well, she's out of state. She lives in Florida. I'm in Colorado. Out of sight, out of mind, no big deal. She's dead to me. I've hated her since the day she left me, and those feelings never went anywhere. Our issues are in our tissues. And I kept eating because the pain was not tended to, and the story stayed alive, although silent and dormant and sneaky. And I thought I was good to go, hadn't seen her again or talked to her in almost two decades. She no longer bothered me, so I thought, this delusional thinking, I'm warped between these two ears. And silently, I ate, and I ate, and I ate, wondering why. So these suds are about, again, these seemingly unimportant disturbances that have the power to kill if I don't pay attention and do something about them. This step is vital and crucial and could have little permanent effect unless at once followed by a strenuous, a hard effort to face and be rid of the things in ourselves which had been blocking us. Show me the truth, God. Show me where I'm falling short. Show me where I need to make amends. Help me to make things right. I no longer want to create harm in this world. There's too much pain. And I get to do this because I have instructions. And with God leading and guiding the way, we straighten out mentally and physically. So we search out these flaws in our makeup which caused our failure, these defects of character that I always go back to because I'm threatened or hurt in that third column. And mainly my selfish ways of trying to fix me or you. I want things different according to my plans, my design. I'm back to being a director. So fear-based living, that is an evil and a corroding thread. The fabric of our existence is shot through with it. And now I'm just going to quickly go through a fear inventory. Again, following these precise directions, I'm fearful of going broke. First column, why do I have this fear? Cost of living is rising and I'm not saving any money. So where's my trust and reliance? Of course, my finite self, I always circle that one. Did self-reliance work? Nope, never does. But my brain convinces me, take the wheel back, change. I've got some good plans for you. So then I get to say this fear prayer because I'm always seeking and asking God for help. That's the one thing, the most important thing. So God, please remove my fear of finances and direct my attention to what you would have me be. And God would have me remember what's on the dollar bill. And God we trust. And that my job is to go to work, do a good job, and then leave the rest up to God. And resentments, that are, that's my number one offender, and it destroys more alcoholics than anything else. So we put them on pen and paper, disregarding 
the other person involved entirely. I so want to make it about you and blame you and point that finger at you. And of course, three fingers are pointing back at me. This is my work. I've got to keep my eyes on my own paper. The inventory was ours, not the other man's. So take their face out of your head. Take their name. My story wants to spin again about how you are so wrong and it only keeps me stuck and sick. I don't see my part. Where did I set the ball rolling? Where was I selfish? Where was I expecting you to be someone who you're not? And then I get compassionate and I realize if you could do better, you would, just like I would. So page 66 says, we realize that the people who wronged us were perhaps, and I put that in quotation, perhaps spiritually sick. But I know I am when I can't stop thinking about you. So let's keep the eyes on my own paper again. Something's going wrong with me because I just hear your name and I go south. So I really need, again, to do this work, focus on me, get to my truth. And then there's directions in the books. I get to ask God to show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that I would cheerfully grant a sick friend. And I say a prayer which goes like this. I forgive him or her for all harms, fancied or real, past, present, or future. And I release him or her and let them go now and forever. May he or she be well. May he or she be happy. And may he or she be filled with love. Most importantly, I ask God to save me from being angry. I will be done. And the other day, I was so angry at work. I practice a lot at my job. I will guarantee you that. And thank God some lovely lady picked up the telephone because I was in a bad place. I was so angry. I was in a total fit of rage. And um, it was amazing to be at a 10 and go to a zero in a matter of hours from simply following these precise directions, these clear-cut directions exactly as they're laid out. So this final sheet is our sex and conduct inventory. And I love that it begins in that first column, whom did I hurt? Because it's not necessarily just about sex in our past relations or current. It's about this conduct, this behavior, how I'm showing up in the world. And so I'm just going to go through quickly this final sheet. And um, so whom did I hurt? My husband. And I hurt him when I cut him off to answer another phone call. He was in the middle of sharing something important to him. And was I selfish? Yes, because I was only thinking about me at that time. Was I dishonest? Uh, yes, the dishonest thought, well, it's not that big of a deal. And this person, I might need to pick it up because they're in a bad place and I need to be of service and help them. Inconsiderate, absolutely, I did not stop to think for one second how that made him feel. And then I go into this part, did I arouse jealousy? Absolutely. Who's more important than me that you stop and you cut me off like this to pick up that phone, suspicion? Again, who's more important, bitterness? Yes, he's angry. He's angry at these people that are calling and that I'm responding to before him. And then I go into the, the next one. It says, where, where was I at fault and what should I have done? I should have been ignored the phone call. 
And now, because of these experiences, because that's what I'm trying to do is to create less harm. I've learned from the past. When my husband told me, Ginger, you're a switchboard operator, that was not a kind comment. That was not him being proud of me picking up all those phone calls. That was him trying to tell me, you, you're absent again. You've been out of this family for years because of the food that you've been eating. Now you come home and you leave again because you can't stop picking up the phone. So a lot of the times now, I'm not with my phone. When my husband and I go out, we go out. We look eye to eye and we have a conversation. We're together in communion. And then I go into this, uh, with each relation selfish? Absolutely. I'm all about me. And then I say the sex prayer, God, please mold my ideals and help me to live up to them. This sex meditation where I get quiet with God this part that I think we miss a lot because I don't want to be quiet. I want to figure things out, manage, manipulate, martyr, mother, control, figure, you know, back to the wheel. In this meditation, I get to get quiet and I get to listen. So God, please show me what to do about this specific matter so I don't have to create more harm and I can do differently the next time. And then this prayer, we earnestly pray for the right ideal guidance in each questionable situation, sanity, the strength to do the right thing. If sex is very troublesome, we throw ourselves harder into helping others. We think of their needs and we work for them. This takes us out of ourselves. It quiets the imperious urge. When to yield would mean heartache. So again, these clear directions. Nothing saves the day like working with another. So thank you to all of you on the line every morning continuing to work this practical program of action. You're picking up the phone and doing it with me side by side. I equals illness, we equals wellness, and I need you as much as you need me. And together we get better, never alone. Ultimately, all this work happens because we're on this different basis, the basis of trusting and relying upon God. I can't give God 90 and hold on to 10. I'm still committing suicide. I have to let go completely, free-falling into this new dimension, making God everything and giving this newfound power every aspect and every angle of my life. I am yours, God. Who would you want me to be and what would you want me to do? And with that, I pass. Thank you very much, Ginger C., for your share. I now welcome panelist number three, Dawn B. from California. Good morning, Dawn. Good morning, Leah. This is Don B. Recovered in Southern California, and it's a privilege to be here this morning with all of you. Um, well, when uh, I was asked to speak on Step Four, the inventory process, and how it um, illuminates our instincts gone awry and what our emotional deformities are. I was a little taken aback, (laughs) but um, I'm so, so uh, grateful to be of service this morning. And um, it's, it's, uh, it's almost, uh, it's still dark here in Southern California, but the sun is very much on the horizon and it's going to be a beautiful day. I know. And I'm so grateful to be here and to be of service. I just wanted to first begin by asking my higher powers, loving presence, just to um, fill my mind and my heart and give me the words that 
you would intend to be spoken, God, and just uh, help me to be of service. All right. Well, um, I first heard about vision uh, not quite two years ago, um, and it was in a workshop with Harlan G. And I was in that workshop. I had been abstinent about six years. Um, you know, things were going well, and um, I'd already done the steps multiple times, and I was down over a hundred pounds from my top weight. Um, you know, I thought I was doing a good job with, you know, fairly good job with my program, but there was a problem. Um, when I was in his workshop, I simply could not stop crying. <laughs> uh, I was over in the corner and trying to, you know, um, hide the tears that were rolling down my face, but I just could not stop crying. And the thing was, I had no idea why really I was crying. Um, Harlan was doing a beautiful job in the workshop talking about um, the big book and all the healing and um, wonderful uh, words of, of hope that it has there and why I felt so distant from that um, those words of hope was beyond me, you know, hey, I'm abstinent. Um, but what I learned and um, what I needed was that to realize is that abstinence is simply not enough. Um, abstinence is not enough. And to me, what I've come to understand is that abstinence is like the tip of the iceberg. You know, I, um, I came in thinking that's all that there was. I just needed to lose some weight and trust me, once I'm there, I'll be, I'll be gone and uh, I'll be done and I'll be good. But um, that's not how it works. And so if we think of an iceberg floating in the water, abstinence is the part that's above the water, but what's below the water, uh, the major, the majority of the uh, treasure that is there for us, uh, in the program is our emotional sobriety. It's our thinking. And every morning I start the day out by asking God, please direct my thinking. I especially ask that my thinking be divorced from self-pity, dishonest and self-seeking motives. My thinking during the day was what really needed the overhaul. I needed to really have a, a rebooting there. And that's exactly what I got through working the steps um, through the program of vision. So I heard about vision. Harlan mentioned it. He said it was the renaissance of OA. And I truly have come to believe that's exactly what it has been for me, certainly in my OA program. It has been a renewing and a revitalizing. And so what I did after hearing that was I got a sponsor right away. I worked the steps like my hair was on fire. And uh, beautiful things really have just um, blossomed out of the program as a result. But certainly the message for me was and continues to be abstinence is not enough. On page 19 in the big book, it says that the elimination of our drinking was but a beginning. A much more important demonstration of our principles lies before us 
in our respective homes, occupations, and affairs. So um, abstinence is just scratching the surface of what the huge treasure of the 12 steps can bring to our lives. And um, again, in the big book, it says that uh, um, on page 42, quite as important was the discovery that the spiritual principles would solve all my problems. Now, I heard that and I immediately grabbed hold of would solve all my problems. Are you telling me that working the 12 steps really will solve all my problems? And, um, and that's in the chapter more about alcoholism. And uh, I can truly say that it really uh, is addressing all the areas of my life that it's that previously before I had not realized that it really could. Um, you know how we're, we come to realize once we get in the program that we, and work through the 12 steps that we become neutral around the food. Well, what I really needed and desired was to also become neutral around my emotional triggers so that I could find emotional sobriety um, in my thinking. So after getting my sponsor right away and working through the first three steps, uh, I was riding the way. We went through the program really quickly. Uh, unlike my previously uh, times when I'd gone through the steps, I'd done it really uh, slowly, like months per step. Um, and this time it was, went by very quickly. Um, and in the big book, it says uh, on page 62, so our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves. The alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will than riot, so he usually doesn't think so. Above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. We must, or it kills us. God makes that possible. So if there's a problem, I'm the problem. And where my troubles are, where they originate from, it's my own doing. Um, on page 62, again, it says, and this is the how and the why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. Now, I think it's important that it says, first of all, is to really direct our attention. This is big. This is the heart of the issue. I personally had to quit playing God. I had placed myself uh, in the center of the universe and thinking that all things needed to revolve around me when really my higher power belonged in the center of the universe and all things were to revolve around my higher power. I used to, uh, as a joke, I would introduce myself at uh, OA meetings by saying, um, yes, uh, my name is Dawn and I'm a recovering higher power. Um, but I didn't realize until going through the, step, the fourth step this last time just how true that was. I suffer not because of people or circumstances I came to realize, but because I'm trying to play God and force my will. I suffer and I cause others to suffer when I'm not taking responsibility for my behavior when I'm trying to play God. Well, taking a look at my resentment, uh, the first one that I wrote down on my inventory was regarding my son's autism. 
I'm a uh, wife and mother. I have uh, four young adult children. Um, three of them have autism, and two of them also have mental illness. And um, so my resentment that I wrote down was about my son, uh, Eric, his autism. He's my most severe uh, guy. And how did this illuminate my instincts gone awry? Well, basically, my self-esteem was really overactive, and this was causing a lot of my suffering. How so? Well, I felt it was my fault. I felt that I must have done something wrong to have caused his autism. I took it personally, and I was going to find the cure. So what I spent um, my t- most of my time doing um, back in the early days was I would stay up till two, three in the morning, scouring the internet for cures and feverishly implementing them, regardless of the cost, financially and emotionally. I did that for years. My instinct of ambition had gone awry as well as I compared my son and my uh, children with disabilities to other people's children, Uh, especially my two brothers who had adult children or young children at the time, but children who were winning awards in school. My selfishness was that I wanted, no, I demanded uh, what I wanted from life. And I was dishonest in the things that I told myself that weren't true, such as, I know how life is supposed to be, and this was a non-negotiable. The most important thing for me was to have good and healthy and successful children. And I was devastated when they told me that my son, Eric, would probably never be able to cross the street by himself or be able to go into a store and purchase something on his own. If that ever happened, that would be a miracle. What is my dishonesty? What was I telling myself that wasn't true? I was telling myself that I knew better than God and I can't be happy until this changes. And I blamed it for my unhappiness. I did not believe that God could bring a greater good out of his life. And I believed it to be a devastating, unspeakable tragedy that he had autism. And I blamed it for my unhappiness. I've since learned to get right sides. I'm not the higher power. I do not know what needs to happen um, in life in order for the greater good to be the end result for him. I remember walking up uh, a hill in a early morning walk that I was taking one time and there was so much fog. I was looking out over the hillside and what I used to be able to see, I could not see a thing. And uh, it so struck me that this really is life for me. Um, I don't know what needs to happen next. I can't see clearly. Um, I don't even know what's best. I can't see the future. I am blind, but my higher power sees perfectly. I was struggling to see and, um, you know, and in life I related it to oftentimes I will struggle to see, to know, to figure out to think I know what's best when truly the reality is I am blind, but my higher power can see perfectly. And then what was, what I did was I uh, turned around and realized there was this uh, hillside of beautiful flowers all uh, right there beside me. And had I continued to 
be upset and struggling to see what I could not in the fog, I would have missed these beautiful flowers right there behind me. And so it is with my life when I struggle and try to take on my higher powers job and give God the day off uh, and try to work things out of myself, uh, how miserable I make myself. Well, my prayers are now, God, please help me to see my son more like you see him. Help me to see his situation, his life more like you see it. Help, uh, please heal me from my unhappiness and my anger. Please free me from trying to control and manipulate life. Uh, may my peace of mind be dependent on you alone, God. And whatever life brings, God, I accept it. I turn him over to your care and ask only for your will to be done and not mine. I realize that through the working of the fourth step process, that I am not the higher power of my son and only the creator, his creator gets to define what is a successful life and what is a valuable life. When God is in charge, it makes no sense for me to find fault and to criticize. And I am no longer justified in being miserable. So I had to drop my story, my rehearsed story of how this was a horrible thing. And I had to pick up God's story, God's perspective. And that's what the fourth step allowed me to do was really um, put down in print, you know, what was causing my misery. And that was my thinking. It wasn't the circumstance. It wasn't what was happening to my son. He was fine. He's happy. He's a He's just an amazingly happy guy. And who am I to say that this is a life that is not successful or this is a life that is less valuable? It's just not my job. God, help me to see my son's situation more like you see it. I am responsible for being kind and loving and tolerant. I don't know the way that life needs to look. I have no clue, God. I am truly blind, but you see perfectly. In the big book on page 62 and 63, it says, hereafter in this drama of life, God is going to be our director. He is the principal. We are the agent. He is the father. We are the children. Most good ideas are simple, and this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant art through which we pass to freedom. When we sincerely took such a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. We had a new employer. Being all-powerful, he provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. Established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves, our little plans and designs. More and more, we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. As we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, as we discovered we could face life successfully, as we became conscious of his presence, we began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, and the hereafter. We were reborn. Well, the next resentment I had written down in my inventory was regarding my daughter. Um, she's my oldest, and uh, she has autism, but also mental illness. And I was resentful at God, and I was resentful at her. I'd be short with her. She'd come to my room um, asking the same questions over and over 
as a result of her mental illness and autism. And so when she came to my door to ask that question again, I would say in a not so happy voice, not now. What were my instincts gone awry? Well, my instinct of security and self-esteem. These were the things that were making me upset. I was telling myself that I realized that I was telling myself things that weren't true, such as the heart of the issue. Why I was really upset was that um, I had this tape, this soundbite running in my mind that was saying that it's her job to take care of me when I get older. That's what she should be doing. So I was upset with her for having her challenges because don't you know, it's her job to take care of me when I get older. And also it's her job to make me look good as a mom. And once I realized that that's what I was really believing in my heart in order for me to have this resentment, I was amazed what clarity uh, this fourth step was bringing to me. I remember those uh, dark days around Christmas time, about this time of year, um, when my husband and I went to visit her in the psych ward a number of years back, and um, we felt at the time that we had really descended into hell. Uh, Here we were going to what I thought was the worst place on earth to visit our catatonic daughter who was so out of it that she would just stare straight ahead and not respond to us when we tried to talk with her. I kept repeating prayer over, over and over in my mind, your will be done, God, not mine. Your will be done, God, not mine. Your will be done, God, not mine. That place, what I thought I knew was the worst possible place and the worst possible situation um, turned out to be the biggest blessing. The staff became like angels for my daughter. The loving kindness they showed um, and through her time there, she got so much better as a result of their care. They found a medication that started working for her and really brought her back to us. What I thought was the worst possible thing to happen to her, to end up in a psych facility, turned out to be the biggest blessing. I believe that after praying the fear prayer many times and asking for God to remove my fear and direct my attention to what God would have me be, I realize that I don't know what needs to happen next in my daughter's life in order for her to accomplish what uh, the will and the plans that her higher power has for her. I have no idea what needs to happen next in her life, what's a blessing and what's not. I believe that God's greater good will be the end result in her life, uh, and that is her higher power's will for her, and that I can let go of my little plans and designs for her. Truly, I am blind, God, but you see perfectly. I don't know what needs to happen next, not for me, not for anyone. What an amazing gift this fourth step process was. The last resentment that I wanted to talk about today was regarding my sweet husband. And I can say that now because of the learning and growth that has taken place as a result of the four-step process and subsequent 10 steps on this issue. He truly is the love of my life, and I know that now. But before my last 
fourth step process, I was holding on to a resentment. The instinct that I now realize that was overactive and causing me problems was my security and self-esteem instincts again. My husband is a cancer survivor. He was on a feeding tube for 15 months uh, due to his tongue cancer. He got down to looking like a skeleton. But that was 17 years ago now. He had a, a 2 to 5% chance of making it past five years after the, the cancer that he had. But he did. And I had every reason now to be very grateful, and yet I was angry. I was ticked with my husband, and I did not even really realize why. I just wanted to avoid him and just be busy and not be available to him. I did not realize that it was because I had tried to make him my higher power. I was telling myself things that weren't true, such as it's his res- he is responsible for my security. It's his job to make me happy. It's his job to fix everything and make sure that all my needs are met. I didn't even realize that I was telling myself these things that were so dishonest. I was also resentful at my husband for implying that I wasn't, wasn't available. And there's my self-esteem instinct. I self-righteously responded that I am busy problem-solving for our family. But the truth is, is that I've given God the day off, no the month, no really like the year off. And I'd been unavailable and so busy because I was trying to play the higher power. And I was trying to force my will in so many areas of my life. I realize now that when I think I know better than God the way life should look, and this is not it, I make myself miserable. Not because of life circumstances, but because I'm trying to play God and force my will. Finding out how specifically I've been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and fearful has been such a gift. In step four, what I dreaded and avoided because I thought would be hell turned out to be such a blessing. Again, step four, an amazing blessing. I clearly do not know what needs to happen next in order for the greater good to be the end result. Not for me and not for anyone. I am blind but my higher power sees perfectly. And then looking over the fears that I had um, and wrote down on my fourth step, I realized as well that uh, my security instinct had gone awry. Um, And in the fears that I listed, one right after the other, uh, among them, my fear of my husband dying and leaving me to parent her adult children on my own. Um, I realized that my trust and reliance was obviously on my finite self and not on infinite God, or I wouldn't have had that. I wouldn't have that fear. Does self-reliance work? Absolutely not. God, please remove my fear and direct my attention to what you would have me be. Not only was this a prayer that I prayed uh, back when I was doing the fourth step, but this is my Uh, Part of my amends is to continue to pray this prayer when I start to move back into a sense of fear about this issue. And then what happens is a miracle. I get to ask, what would God have me be? 
what would God have me be? And when I paused, when I was doing the fourth step and listened, what would God have me be? I heard uh, God's voice saying to me, uh, enjoy the moments you have today. They are precious. Live, laugh, and love today. Put all else into God's most loving care, into my most loving care in my hands, where it belongs. Let go, Dawn, and let me take care of it. I've got this. And what I also um, heard when um, praying this prayer was that my husband has a higher power, and it's not me. And with his ongoing challenges that he has, he has a chronic um, ear infection due to the radiation cancer that he went through. And uh, so when I started to get fearful about that, I pray again, God, please remove my fear and direct my attention to what you would have me be. And I asked myself the question, now, if God were going to speak to me directly regarding this issue, what might my, what might my higher power say? What might God say? And I hear God saying, Dawn, you can relax. I've got this. You are loved more than you can begin to imagine with your mind. And I am carrying you and your family in my loving arms. You do not need to worry. All is well. And I love your husband. I love Norm more than you can begin to imagine with your mind. And I am not worried about his chronic ear infection. I'm not up late at night wringing my hands worried about this all as well. Trust me. It's relaxing just even to think about that. And what a beautiful tool this is for us, regardless of the issues that confront us. God's got this. We don't need to worry. So to summarize, the fourth step has truly brought home to me that there is a higher power, and it's certainly not me. It has helped me to get right-sized. God is in charge, and I am not. I haven't a clue what needs to happen next in life in order for the greater good to be the end result, not for me and not for anyone. Only God knows that. I am blind, but my higher power sees perfectly. My family members all have their own higher power, and it's not me. And regardless of how it appears to me, their higher power is not worried at all. They are exactly where and how they need to be in order for them to accomplish what their higher power will is for them and their higher power's purposes for them. And lastly, I am grateful for the miracles of this program. All thanks be to God, my husband and I are back to being best friends. It is truly an absolute miracle. And I move to tears with gratitude for my family, exactly as they are. For today, I'm staying, and, and for today, I'm staying out of the business of criticizing and condemning. God willing, I won't give God the day off or the week off or longer and try to handle things on my own. But if I do, I know that I have the fourth step inventory process, which is echoed in the 10th step right there. 
right there beside me that I can pick up each and every day for a much-needed dusting off or house cleaning that will bring me closer to fully relying on the only true source of my infinite security and the true source of my self-esteem, which is my higher power. In the big book on page 68, perhaps there is a better way, it says. We think so. For we are now on a different basis, the basis of trusting and relying on God. We trust infinite God rather than our finite selves. We are in the world to play the role that he assigns. And just to the extent that we do as we think he would have us and humbly rely on him, does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? Just for today, God, may I depend on you so that you can demonstrate through me what you can do. And with much gratitude, I am so grateful for this fourth step, which I tried to avoid for so long, but which truly was one of the biggest blessings I've received in my life. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Leah, for allowing me to be of service. Thank you, Dawn, for giving so much of yourself this morning. Thank you to the three panelists, Jason, Ginger, and Dawn. I'm honestly moved to tears by your profound sharing and the transformations you each experienced as a result of this work. So thank you so much for giving so much of yourself. Share ID for today's Presentation 13,740, that's 13740 for today's presentation. Contact information for the three panelists will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so you'll need to stay tuned for that. Of course, you can utilize the membership contact list if you wish to do so. We will now transition to question-answer segment. You can pose a question to a specific panelist by pressing star 1 to unmute. Give me your first name and first letter of your last name as well, please. Star 1 to unmute. Jody E. Jody. Dorita P. Dorita. Anyone else at this time? Okay, so let's just jump in with Jody E's question. Thank you, Jody. Thank you, Leah. Thank you all for your beautiful shares. I am moved also and very much appreciate your experience, strength, and hope. My question is for Jason. Jason, in making amends to your ex-wife, did you have any fear or doubt that perhaps contacting her again would um, be problematic in any way? Or did you feel confident that there would be no stirring of old emotions or anything like that? Yeah, thank you for the question. And I, I, I just don't want to get too far off our topic of the fourth step, but we, you know, we trust in God. Um, as Don said, we trust and rely upon God. My responsibility is to clean house um, to do the fourth step inventory, and then I make the approach, and make the approach um, bearing in mind everything I've gleaned and garnered from that fourth step inventory that this woman is a woman I'd have harmed deeply, 
and it's very key for me to ask if she's willing um, and interested to do this um, because in my selfishness in the past, I had been demanding. So I ask if she's willing and open and I take my actions and I don't worry about the results. I think that's what I would say about that. And thank you for the question. Thank you, Jody E. Thank you, Jason. Dorita P, your turn. Thank you, Leah. Thank you, Leah, for all your service. And um, my name is Dorita P. I'm from Cleveland. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and I'm just real grateful to be here. Um, I had two questions, but uh, Jody kind of asked the question I had of Jason. Um, and then I have a question for uh, Ginger C. Um, I really like what you said about uh, our issues are in our tissues. Uh, my question, well, I guess I have two quick questions. Can you tell us again what SUDS stands for? Uh, Ginger C. Hi, Dorita. Yeah, SUDS are seemingly unimportant decisions or disturbances. Okay. Oh, thank you, thank you. And then the second one, uh, is it written somewhere, uh, your, um, I guess it was a resentment slash forgiveness prayer? No, but if you send me a text, I'd be happy to share that with you. Okay, thank you so much. That's all I have. Thank mm-hmm. you, Leah. Thank, thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you. Thanks, Dorita. Who else has a question this morning for our panelists, our one unmute? Kathy K. Kathy K. Sam S. Sam S. Becca R. Becca R. Star one to unmute. Sarah T. Is that Sarah T? Excuse me, Aaron P. I'm sorry, Aaron T. <laughs> Aaron E R I N P. Yes. As in, okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, that's a group. Let's do that. Kathy K. Everybody else, please mute. Thank you. Thank you, Leah, for your service, and thanks to the three panelists. I got so much out of listening to all of you. What came to my mind was the question to any one of you um, whether you've, how often you might do another fourth step or do you just consider 10th steps the way to stay current? Um, I'd be interested in how you do that issue. Thank you. Hi, this is Ginger C. Go for it. Okay, I love that question, Kathy. Thank you so much. And you know, we we awaken through this work, this practical program of action, and we can continue to awaken. It's not a one-time uh, ordeal. And so, you know, it's not written anywhere. There's no rules about this. But I personally try to revisit the one through twelve on an annual basis. And I also personally like to find new teachers. Again, I don't know who's going to be my teacher today, but I want to be honest, open, and willing and to receive that message, because we cannot transmit what we don't have. So um, I have also, I have my sponsor, but I've also had other teachers to guide me and take me through the 12 steps. And with that, I've passed. Thank you, Ginger. 
Thank you. Any other panelists like to respond to Kathy's question? Yeah, this is Don B. Mhm. Go ahead, Don. And, uh, yeah, if I find myself uh, where I'm crying uncontrollably while listening to <laughs> another workshop, I certainly will be, uh, and not knowing why I'm crying, um, I certainly will be wanting to revisit the um, the 12 steps and go through another four-step inventory. But yeah, I I think when my uh, emotional sobriety just takes a dive again on an extended basis that I will certainly be looking to do at another time. I've done the four the um, steps uh, numerous times, and each time it has just revealed something that has been so wonderful and something that I needed so much um, at that time in my life that uh, you know I certainly would would want to uh, welcome that at, at some time in the future. So thank you for the question. Thank you. Thanks, Kathy Kay. Sam S., your turn with a question. Good morning. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Leah and all the panelists for your uh, service this morning. I um, God is so good. I am starting my fourth step again as of today in the big book, and I didn't know the topic of the special edition, so... I feel like it was just for me. Um, my question is, um, I'm putting um, my husband on my uh, fourth step resentment again. And uh, I'm just wondering if anybody would have um, some experience on strength and hope on, you know, putting somebody back on there and what that was like and maybe the difference between doing it the first time and the second time, if there was um, anything additional you did or anything, uh, any new, um, you know, spiritual awakenings you had as a result of doing the fourth step again. Thank you so much. This is Jason Kay, I can speak to that. Please go ahead, Jason. Yeah, and thank you for the question. And, and for me, I find that the people who are closest in our life, uh, the people that I work with eight hours a day, um, the people that I'm in relationship with will get repeated um, inventory. Uh, that's not anything to be ashamed of, and I don't find that it's uncommon. Some of my uh, fourth set partners know some of my coworkers by name. <laughs> They'll say, oh, oh, this guy again. Um, so it's very funny. For me, um, I have to look um, deeply at those character defects and see if I'm missing anything. But I have also found that the um, key in um, shifting any reoccurring 10 steps is in the amends process driven by God's power, not mine, a surrender uh, and a willingness to let go of those character defects and a willingness to um, act uh, differently, to do differently, to be differently, driven through amends, which is a change in my behavior, a change in my attitude and outlook or specific actions, and often on a continuing basis as a practice and driven by uh, the power of prayer. Um, so I would take those things into consideration and see if you're repeating patterns. Ask yourself if you're truly willing to let those go uh, and to, to, to um, rectify those behaviors, to, to act differently. And again, that action comes from a surrendered place out of God's power. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Sam S., for the question. Becca R., your turn. 
star one to unmute Becca. Hey, it's Becca R, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Kentucky. And my um, question is for Ginger C. And it is when you're doing the inventory work um, and things come up again that maybe you haven't looked at for years. Like what I'm thinking of is my sister. And when I came into 12-step program years ago, I made amends to my sister. And then coming in and doing the steps with a vision for you, I made amends to my sister. And now I'm revisiting the steps. And it's all different things, but is there a point when you feel like it's redundant and and that it should be like a living amend? That's my question. Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I think we peel perfectly in God's timing. And so I just remember this 10 stuff that I was doing with one of my amazing teachers that um, I've been so blessed that she crossed my path because she helps me to see my truth so clearly and so quickly. Um, but I was surprised the tears. I couldn't stop crying. I just lost it and it was deep and it was real. So again, like I said, our issues are in our tissues and, and we peel perfectly and it might get a little bigger and or deeper with the digging. Um, but that's what we're after is to be rid of this selfishness, self-centeredness, this ego reduction and then returning back to this perfect true self that God created me. Um, and so, yeah, it definitely um, can come up again and again, because I think you're just getting a little deeper into it and uh, and ultimately more free from it. And with that, I pass. Thank you very much, Becca. Erin T., your turn with a question, please. Oh, great. Thank you so much, Leah. Um, thank you, everyone, for your service. Dawn, I had a question for you. Um, I actually just dialed in into the the last portion of your share, so um, thank you to the others. Sorry, I missed them. It sounds like they were great. Um, but how much time did you dedicate to doing your fourth step um, the first or second time around? I've done them a few times and had different time frames to work with, um, so I'm just curious about your experience with that. Well, thank you so much for that question, Erin. Yeah, a big, massive time difference. The first time I did the fourth step, I took months, uh, six months to finish a fourth step. And uh, that wasn't particularly, um, that was really made it much more of a burden than it needed to be. Uh, way too much time. The second time I went through it, um, the fourth step, I, again, it was a month, but not as many months. And then the following was like a month, but this time with um, vision, I took six, uh, six days, approximately one week to uh, do the four steps. And that was a much more um, merciful process. Uh, I had less because I'd done the the, uh, four step numerous times, so I had less to um, put on there. But um, just moving through it quickly, I think is important and very valuable. Uh, So, you know, I think the shorter time was was a gift. And I believe that that is, uh, for me now, that's more of an effective way to do it. 
So thank you for the question. Thank you, Erin, for your question. And this is the final invitation for questions. We can take, uh, let's say, two more. Who else might have a question? Barbara E. Barbara E. Anyone else at this time? Gwen S. Gwen S. Okay, excellent. Barbara, go ahead with your question, please. Thank you so much, Leah. Thank you so much for everything you do, and bravo to all three of the panelists. You touched my heart. Um, oh, someone's on unmuted, I think, but it's not me. Um, anyway, uh, actually, it's a threefold thing. First of all, Ginger, I have, I felt you really roto-rootering every single aspect of your resentment towards the change in your in your company policy. I've never ever seen anything like that, and I applaud that. And Dawn, that you, my question is, how did you get over your fear? your resentment, your feeling of victim, because you certainly did. Uh, all things turned out to be as God meant them to be, but I'm just amazed that you made it through. And finally, to Jason, Jason, when you went to your wife to make us, ex-wife, to make a sincere amends, did you ask her, is there anything else you'd like to add? because I was always instructed to say that, and sometimes I got quite a laundry list from people. So those are my three, and again, thank you so much. Thank you, Barbara. Barbara I'll jump, I'll, yes, I'll jump go ahead, in. Jason, please, yes. thank you. Thanks, thank you, Barbara, and thank you for acknowledging all three speakers. I think it's beautiful the different uh, voices we hear on this line and how um, all three of us approach this topic. I want to approach this in the context of taking inventory, because that's our topic today. And I, I just want to kind of take your question in. When I take this first step inventory, it's not just some isolated thing. All these steps mesh and meld together. So I look and I put these character defects down on paper. But that is so deepened when I bring that to a sponsor, when I share that inventory with others, and they give me consideration. Jason, perhaps you were fearful in this way and a light bulb goes on in my head. I'm struck over the head by their feedback. I see a character defect more clearly. Um, I can listen to their experience, and I can identify, and I can say, holy cow, I didn't realize I was exhibiting this character defect. I didn't realize I was playing a victim in this way. Everybody who I can share this inventory can help me um, see these things uh, more deeply and, and to, to share these things more deeply uh, uh, and, and just to affirm what I've already seen. So along those lines, when I bring this to my ex and I brought this to my ex and I said, um, is there anything else? She said, yes. She said, yes. And, and, and maybe this will be for the ninth step talk that we do sometime, but I'll just share very briefly um, with an attitude of openness, humility, and willingness to go to any length. I got to see things deeper based on her feedback. My inventory went deeper. I realized how I had harmed her. 
she said, it felt like you hated me. And I didn't know she needed to know. Um, I said, no, I mean, I could see how you felt that. And I said, I love this about you. And I love this about you. And I admire this about you. She was totally shocked and amazed. I didn't know she needed to hear that, but it came out in that a conversation. I got to learn and go deeper in understanding how my behavior affected her. She felt like she was uh, disliked, hated. Um, so that's what I'll say to that. Thank you for the question. You touched my heart. Thank you, Jason. Dawn, did you want to respond as well? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you, Barbara, so much for the question. So the question uh, was, how did I get over the fear and the resentment and not uh, stay in the place of feeling like a victim? How did I make it through? Uh, it's a beautiful question. And what is so wonderful about the 12 steps is, and the big book is that it gives me a laser focus on what the issue, what the problem is. So uh, going through this reading in the big book that if there's a problem, I'm the problem. It's my thinking. It's not my circumstances. It's not people, other people that they are not the problem. The problem is my thinking. And the problem is when I'm trying to play the higher power and when I'm trying to force my will. So as a result of going through the fourth step this last time, uh, there were some patterns that started to surface. And I started to realize, oh my goodness, I am miserable, not because of what happened, not because of others, but because uh, I'm trying to play God and force my will. That's what makes me miserable. I suffer uh, because I'm not taking responsibility for my behavior and I'm trying to play the higher power and force my will. So that's what was making me suffer was when I think I know better than my higher power when I'm trying to demand and uh, force life to be the way I think it must be. That is when I suffer personally. And when I let go of that, and when I realize that my peace of mind is dependent not on others, not on circumstances, but squarely on the quality of my relationship with my higher power, then I am free. So thank you so much for the question. Thank you, Dawn. Ginger, did you want to offer a brief wrap-up uh, regarding your your work inventory? Um, sure. I'm just so grateful, again, that I'm willing to be a student because that's what this is all about with this fourth step to me, this humility that I need to stay in. I'm no less than, I'm no greater than, I'm just one of many, and I want to be teachable. So that digging aspect, I'm just so grateful for the teachers that have shown up in my life and have taught me so beautifully, um, and especially with God leading the way. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Ginger. Our final question for the morning comes from Gwen S. Star one to unmute, Gwen. Hi, thanks so much for taking my question um, and for your shares. And this is for anybody to answer. I heard something, I think, today that I don't think I've ever heard about. In the part of the fourth step where you say, how does it affect you, I've always just like, check, 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 you know, spent like two seconds on it and moved on. But I think I heard somebody say that that part you do spend a little more time on because you think about what is it that I want. 
And I just want to ask, did I hear that correctly? And if I did, could you explain a little bit more about that? Thanks very much. Which panelists would like to respond to Gwen's question? Oh, uh, I'll take it. I don't like hearing the silence and the crickets. I think I thought that one had Ginger C written all over it, but I'll take a crack at it. Thank you. Um, I, yeah, I think what we're talking about here is the third column. We're looking at these uh, basic human impulses, the basic drives that our uh, Bill Wilson talks about as God-given drives. Um, looking at these things a little bit more closely gives us a sense of the um, types of personality traits and the types of needs that have dominated our personality and our thinking and our life. This, this for me, I look at as the main motivators of my actions, the things that I was seeking constantly. You know, so for Bill Wilson, when we read his story, we see ambition, money, huge driver in his life. When I looked at my life and I looked at my four-step inventory, I saw a lot of relationships, self-esteem, relationships, self-esteem. So looking at that more clearly, what was it about relationship? What were some of those beliefs um, that drove me? Um, you know, the desperation with which I went into relationship showed me um, how that drove my actions to desperately seek out relationships, even unhealthy ones. Um, so it's, it's been illuminating in that sense. Um, and I hope I answered your question. I wanted to take a crack at it. It's worth looking at more deeply in the, the AA 12 and 12 to explain something about that. Thank you, Gwen, for the question. Thank you to all who pose questions. And, of course, thank you to our panelists this morning, Jason K., Ginger C., and Dawn B., for giving so much of yourselves and sharing your experience regarding the Step 4 inventory process. It was very moving and touching and beneficial to many of that, I'm sure. We're going to close from page 164. You'll notice that it's in a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge a road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.